Chris Stoner is the owner of Baltimore Sports and Life. BSL is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. Other parts of BSL include the networking events Baltimore Metro Business Development, BMBD, the Business Development Group Paysetters, and the site Baltimore 2029, which aims to celebrate the best of Charm City as Baltimore nears its 300th anniversary. This show will be utilized for discussion on sports and Baltimore as a whole. Discuss the show at the BSL message board and check out the other BSL radio offerings. Welcome into the Chris Stoner Show. I'm joined today by my guest, Alex Fast, uh, associate producer at MLB, VP of Picture List. Excited to talk to Alex in a second, but one note from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One, their third-generation family business established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Alex, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm, I'm always happy to... Uh to do a, an Orioles podcast. I grew up in Maryland, so I'll, I'll always jump at the opportunity to talk some Orioles. Yep. So I appreciate that, Alex. You're uh, one of the best analysts uh, going, and uh, in fact, you have uh, uh, the Orioles fandom as well, uh, even better. So <laughs> before we get directly into the O's, you had a uh, fantastic recent article at Pitcher List where you asked, do pitchers need to elevate four seamers to have success? Incredibly detailed uh, article. Give people a synopsis on that and uh, some of the conclusions you had there. Yeah, sure, definitely. So, you know, obviously one of the biggest, you know, some of the biggest buzzwords in baseball right now are spin rate, right? It's like the first thing that everyone's talking about. It's what's in the broadcast. It's how we're breaking down pitchers. And for good reason, spin rate's really important. But one of the things that's come with spin rate is elevated fastballs. And that makes sense. The more spin a fastball gets, the better spin efficiency, which is really the most important thing it gets, the more elevated it's going to be. Uh, And I think a lot of people think then like, well, okay, we need to be elevating our four seamers. And in many ways, that's true. Elevated four seamers are at a league high. Four seamers are being thrown higher in the zone or, or are more frequently being put at the top of the zone than ever before. I really just wanted to caution that just because the league is heading that way doesn't mean that's 100% the recipe for success. I noticed that some of the best fastballs last year, guys like um, Walker Bueller, guys like Kenta Maeda, Yu Darvish, Shane Bieber, J.B. Wendelkin, I believe, those guys aren't always elevating their four-seamers, right? Uh, Walker Bueller is a great example. If Walker Bueller is going to elevate, he's not going to do it in beginning accounts, right? Actually, in 00 counts or 01 counts, he's going to drop that four-seamer near the knees, and that's going to make his curveball a little bit more effective. If he is going to elevate, he's usually going to do it with two strikes. A guy like Kenta Maeda, he really isn't going to elevate much at all, right? And that's because, in well, one reason is it sets up the success of his other pitches, right? His changeup, his slider, um, it, that can become more successful based off that lower fastball location. I think it kind of preaches, or it, it kind of cautions against, you know, we have these big rules in pitching, and sometimes we need to pay attention to the exceptions to the rule, and that's kind of what the piece is all about. Yeah, I thought it was uh, extremely well done. But uh, you know, one of the takeaways I had there was kind of the idea that it seems like we're trying to uh, uh, just replicate people over and over. And uh, I mean, they are individuals; they have their own uh, individual repertoires. And I can kind of get you know, I think I have a couple of years on you, Alex. But you know, certainly, uh, 
you know, remember the idea of pitching to multiple quadrants and uh, having uh, different visual planes and certainly understand at this point they're saying uh, elevated uh, four-seamer in this three true outcome area, you're getting more uh, swing and miss uh, stuff and, and and you're getting the Ks and, and certainly uh, it, it is shown. And not every pitcher is going to be Zach Britton with a 95-mile-an-hour uh, sinker two-seamer that, that's moving, but – not everybody's going to be able to pitch up in the zone either, right? Yeah, and that's a, that's such an important caveat, right? One of the things that I really like about a company like Driveline is they preach exactly what you're saying. Let's stop with the cookie cutter templates. Let's stop with teaching based off isms. Let's go based off individual pitcher. Let's go off individual personality. And I know that there are organizations that are going to say, okay, well, you know, guys can't get their bat up to the top of the zone as frequently. They can't flatten that bat path like they used to because it's not the priority right now. So just attack the top of the zone. Just attack the top of the zone. But sometimes guys shouldn't necessarily be doing that. They're going to be in for a lot of trouble as guys like Corey Seager and Freddie Freeman have shown, hey, fine, you want to start elevating a little bit more? I'm going to flatten my bat path and I'm going to take this you know, 400 feet to right field. Just so I remember it um, before we get into the O's, people can find you on Twitter. Where, where Alex? They are. Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter at AlexFast8. You can always talk to me about the Orioles or Howard County. If you want to talk to any River Hill alumni out there, happy to talk about my days at River Hill, I guess. Uh, so we'll get into the O's a bit, start some of the pitching. Uh, let's talk about John Means. Uh, last year we see uh, they, they get into the summer. His velocity is kind of elevated across the board with with all of his stuff. Uh, saw some of the, the swing and miss rates go up. Uh, my, I actually haven't looked to verify my eyes, but at the end of the year, I believe I saw the velocity tick down a notch, and I thought there was a bit more more movement. Uh, what do you think the Orioles have directly means? Is he a Mid-rotation, uh, a solid guy on your long-term team control that has plenty of value there. Do you think there is a little additional upside potential? Yeah, you know, I'm really excited to see what we can get from Means this year. I think last year I was expecting a big breakout, and then obviously the COVID season hit, and then on top of that had to deal with injury, and then on top of that had to deal with the sad passing of his father, which was terribly unfortunate. So I think that was just a season that he's trying to put behind him, and I think now we can finally get to him trying to piece everything together. He hit the nail on the head. Everyone was talking about the uptick in Velo and not realizing that he wasn't necessarily having the results that he wanted to with this uptick in Velo. Right. The command went by the wayside a little bit. And all of a sudden in the last month of the season, he brings it back down a little bit. And he has some of his best results, at least by batted ball metrics and Woba on that fastball than he had all year. Overall, we already know what the changeup can do. Right. 2019, that changeup was one of the best changeups in baseball, not getting whiffs, but in terms of outcomes. So between that really, really good changeup, that kind of slurvy curveball, that's really, really good and really fun to watch. I think we can see a really big year from him. Uh, and I think he's going to be a mainstay in the rotation moving forward for the next couple of years. So I'm excited to watch him keep growing. Also, last summer, we saw Kremer and Aiken uh, make their ascension to the major league rotation. Out of those two, then you have Bauman, Loper, Zimmerman, Wells, and the recently acquired Smith. I mean, is it realistic in your opinion that you can find two productive starters and two usable pen options out of that, that mix? And out of that group, maybe who are you highest on? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I really am excited to keep watching uh, Dean Kramer pitch. I mean, I, I think of the two pieces that we got in the return for the Manny Machado trade, he's he's might be the one that pans out the most. Uh, one of the things that he does particularly well is called spin mirroring, which is uh, something that Eno Saris wrote about today, something that Baseball Savant's been diving into a bit more. It essentially means that... Uh, the spin direction of his fastball is virtually, I don't want to say exactly at noon, but imagine it kind of pointing up. And then the curveball is the exact opposite, pointing downwards, right? And that's what you want to see from a curveball-fastball combination. Some of the best fastball curveball-fastball combinations in baseball do just that. It makes it much more difficult for the uh, the hitter to pick up on the pitch. I recently just made a GIF overlay of that on Twitter if people wanted to check it out. But there's a lot there for him with that two-pitch mix. Keegan Aiken, man. You don't often see a guy with a 92 mile an hour fastball be in the top 10 of swinging strike rate on fastballs. And that's not a fluke. Is it going to regress in 2019? Likely. But it is a better profile than the raw numbers would have you believe. So I think there is, you know, there is a really, really solid back end starter there in Keegan Aiken. In terms of the other guys, I think Bauman and Lothar. Uh, well, let me start with Zimmerman because we got to see him a little bit more last year. I was really excited about what's the slider that I saw from Zimmerman in spring training. Obviously, didn't pan out as much over the course of the actual season. I, I'm excited to see him get another shot. You know, he's currently the number five starter for the Orioles, and he might come into that come opening day. Bauman and Lothar, I think they're going to take it a little bit easy with them at the beginning of the year, let them get some more innings. Then we're going to have a guy like Jorge Lopez come up first and probably take a few more of the innings if there's an injury or anything like that. But man, I mean, it's tough to not be excited about Bauman and that 97 mile an hour fastball. Um, I, I think we probably end up seeing them midpoint in the year, maybe a little bit later. And then Wells or Smith, not sold on them quite as yet. Wells in particular, I don't really know what they're going to do with that kind of low velo fastball. But yeah, Bauman and Lothar, I would expect to be up at some point later on in the year and excited to watch them work. Yeah, out of those seven guys, I mean, they all have kind of been projected kind of as the uh, back end types. But, if, you know, uh, to me, if you get two of them that are consistently league average fourth and fifth starters, you really have. Uh, yeah, you've obtained something there, plenty of value while they are in that cost-controlled stage. Mm -hmm. uh, moving to the pen, you know, I, I like uh, right now Harvey Scott Tate that trio. Uh, Scott it was a bit of a breakout for him in uh, twenty. Who interests you the most from that group, and uh, what do you think the Orioles have in that group? Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I was talking about the Orioles bullpen yesterday. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, the Orioles, they're a fun team to kind of dunk on or make fun of, right? And they think, oh, maybe they had a bad bullpen or whatever because they assume the worst about them. And that was not the case. The Orioles, by war and by FIP and by a lot of metrics, had a top 10 or top 15 bullpen last year. They're not going to strike a lot of guys out, but they're going to induce a lot of weak contact. Um, I'm excited to see what Harvey can do. I mean, like, you know, I feel like you could take that sound clip and put it back in 2019 or put it back in 2018 or 2017. Um, I'm not personally in love with his fastball. I love the velocity of the pitch, but I don't really love much more about it. I'm curious to see if we can get a full healthy season out of him. The good news is, as you mentioned, there is stuff immediately behind him. You obviously uh, brought up Dylan Tate, and I'm excited to see him work. But a guy like Tanner Scott has a really interesting profile. You go to his baseball savant page and you see a lot of red, which is what you want to see. You see a lot of spin on that fastball, but actually a minimal amount of uh, spin efficiency. He gets what's called a lot of gyro 
movement on that fastball. And for those listening who might not be familiar, uh, that's also called like bullet spin or football spin. Usually a four seamer is going to spin with a lot of backspin, right? But a gyro fastball is going to move almost like a football. And when paired with his slider, which also gets a lot of gyro spin to it, it's a really deadly combination for him. The other guy I'm excited to watch Cesar Valdez. I mean, this is a guy who had one of the best changeups in baseball last year that he went to 83% of the time. That is unprecedented. No pitcher has gone to the changeup more in the past six years, I believe, than, than Cesar Valdez. So there could be something interesting with him there as well. Kind of reminded of uh, Doug Jones, uh, you know, uh, kind of a, an old name there. Uh, yeah. Uh, right-handed version. Yeah. Uh, you know, when 21 ends, uh, Rodriguez and Hall, I mean, we're obviously looking for them to uh, uh, lead the Orioles' rotation in subsequent years. 21's obviously going to be huge for their development. How do you handle their workloads after them being limited only to the uh, extended camp in 20? You know, what do you think is realistic innings-wise for them? And do you think uh, after the Orioles have gained another year of – uh, team control in 22, uh, you know, do you think mid-year arrivals for them is plausible, you know, into 22 if you look at it? Yeah, I think for 22, it definitely is. You hit the nail on the head. I think they're going to want to take it nice and easy with them this year, right? This isn't a team. Maybe, maybe if one of them really, really competes, we see a start or two in like September or something. I would be really surprised if that happened this year. Those are the guys I think they're going to want to fully flesh out that rotation with, right? Those are the guys where maybe they can move means back a little bit and Grayson Rodriguez or DL Hall ends up really being the guy for them. I think they're going to want to take it super easy, let them build up that arm strength again. That's going to be wild this year for pitchers all across the league and then I think maybe starting in 2022 when that window is theoretically starting to open up for the Orioles right 2022 we should have a full year at Adley up there and you know we, sh we should be hopefully competing a little bit more that's when I think we're really going to see those guys uh, get a full amount of innings we'll move on from the pitching a little bit look at some other uh, aspects of the roster I mean uh, first and foremost, with uh, Mancini, obviously we're just uh, human yourself. We're just happy that he has his health. I think that's obviously the most important thing. So I feel I always have to have that caveat anytime I, I start a conversation with Mancini, which is hey, true how you feel, but also just needs to be said. But mm -hmm. if he's able to pick up where he left off uh, production-wise, are you in favor of an extension? He's a free agent after 22, or would you be looking to trade him? Yeah, I mean, uh, just to reiterate what you said, like, uh, it, just like any Oriole, like, even, you know, like Dylan Bundy or Zach Britton, I just want to see him happy. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, I just want to see him happy, and I just want to see them succeed. Um, and I'm very much hoping that for Trey Mancini. It, it's just been, his story has just been amazing. And, man, when there are crowds back in Camden Yards and they can cheer on Trey Mancini, I very much long for that day because that's going to be a loud, raucous crowd when he comes back. I do think with all that said, um, that might be someone that ends up getting moved. Um, his market could drastically grow if there is a universal DH, which could theoretically happen this year, could theoretically happen next year. Obviously, Trey Mancini is not the best defender, right? He is a fantastic hitter. He's got a really, really good hit tool. Uh, and I, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him hit 
280, 290 again in a, in, a, in a healthy year. I think that it might be – I don't know if the Orioles are going to be interested in committing a lot of money to him considering he might just be a long-term DH for them. So I wouldn't be surprised if – I don't know if it'll be this year. Maybe it'll be in 2022. I believe he's uh, – 2020. yeah, he's a free agent in 2022, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, after 22. After 22, yeah. So I, I don't know if he'll be moved this year, but um, while I would love to see Mancini in an Orioles jersey until he decides to pack it up, I'm not quite sure if that's going to happen. Um, I just, you know, speak for myself. What I'm hoping uh, is that uh, Diaz, by June 1st, again, the Orioles will gain another year of control there, that he's earned his way up. Uh, and that he's taking over left field at that point, which I think it kind of poses a question of what the Orioles do with Mancini, Mountcastle, and Stewart. Uh, if Mancini has shown his health and is producing at that point, I think you have options. Um, uh, I could see it playing out exactly as you said, that uh, maybe he's traded. It's not that you would evaluate Stewart as being better than Mancini, but Stewart has – additional years of control and if he's giving you 80 percent of what mancini uh could be that you know mancini could be the odd one out um i'm also hoping it just at that point seeing Mountcastle move the first and dh and i know some people will kind of uh they might not feel it's enough production uh, uh that you're going to get from first and dh but you know given Mountcastle's uh questions with plate discipline but uh, I think that's where it makes the most sense for him roster-wise going forward, but we'll see. Uh, stuff to play out on the field there. Uh, we'll move on a little bit. What, what about Hayes? Uh, uh, you know, fan of his ability, but obviously he has to show that he can stay on the field and be productive enough. The 21 is a big year for him. What, what do you think the Orioles have there? Yeah, I mean, you, health, obviously, as you said, is, is going to be a huge concern from him. I, I definitely liked seeing the you know, the, the defensive strides that we saw from him last year. Um, that was, that's great, right? I think they're going to want that kind of lockdown defensive center fielder from him. This isn't going to be a guy who, I mean, the projections kind of give him like 20 to 25 home runs uh, over the course of a full season. I don't necessarily know if I buy that. I think I'm taking the under. I think he's probably going to be more of a, a contact guy who hits around 250, 260. Um, so, I, I overall, I think the the production is going to be there because of the what he's going to be able to bring uh, to center field defensively for the O's. Uh, before he was injured, uh, Santander was having a nice uh, twenty, uh, even some gains in defensively for him uh, playing more in right. Still questions for him in terms of uh, you know, plate discipline or putting everything together. What do you think the Royals have there and? Uh, are you looking for him to build on his 20? And again, I guess biggest question for him again is putting it, putting it together over an entire uh, season, right? Yeah. I mean, honestly, he was one of the Orioles that I was most excited about in terms of progression from 2019 to 2020. Few players, maybe even no players, had as big of a jump defensively as Anthony Santander between the 2019 and 2020 season. In 2019, he was in the 16th percentile of outs above average, which is obviously very poor. And then he jumped to the 70th percentile in 2020, which is a marked leap for him. And, you know, meanwhile, I feel like when you hear about guys who are making such defensive strides, you feel like, okay, well, then maybe he's going to struggle a little bit offensively because he seems to be prioritizing defense. He dropped, he dropped his K rate 
you know, by about 6%. He boosted that walk rate. Now, granted, the sample size isn't huge. We're just talking about 37 games. But remember, in 37 games, he he was on pace to put up another 20 home runs, meaning that I wouldn't be surprised to see him be a 30 home run guy over the course of the season. He's someone that I think could be uh, have a really nice future in Baltimore for the next couple of years. As I mentioned above previously, I'm bullish on Diaz. Uh, you know, I, I'm expecting him to take advantage of uh, the opportunity he gets. I think he will push his way to the majors, but obviously he has to prove it first. Uh, he's dealt with uh, dealt with leg injuries in 19, and kind of that kind of stalled some of the production. But apparently, was healthy and looked uh, strong in the extended camp last year. What are your general thoughts on what the Orioles have in the uh, former Dodger prospect? I, I hope so. I, I hope you're right. I'm a little bit more skeptical personally. I think it's a big sign that we didn't see any of him last year. Um, I'm a little bit worried about that K rate. You know, obviously, definitely struggling with some of those injuries in 19, but a guy who's putting up a 21% K rate uh, in AAA leads me to believe that they they still might be trying to cut down on some of those swings and misses a little bit, especially because I don't believe his his power output in that season down at AAA was anything that would suggest that a 21% K rate is going to necessarily be okay. Um, like he had 11 home runs over 76 games. It's, it's not terrible. Um, I, I think he gets a chance. I think we finally get to see him this year, uh, but I think he's got a lot to prove. And the good news is he certainly has got competition, right? He's going to have to put up or he's, you know, he's going to be kind of a quad a player moving forward because they've got a lot of nice upside in, as we said, Hayes, Santander, and even DJ Stewart. Uh, Mel Castle, he is eligible for the uh, 21 rookie of the year. Uh, he got his feet wet last summer. Uh you know, I, I think most people expect the bat's going to play. There are questions about his uh, plate discipline, and most people don't want to see a, him with a glove anywhere on the diamond. <laughs> you know, particularly, you know, generally, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, he's going to be a first baseman, uh, and that's going to pose some tricky situations. I Maybe he's just a platoon first baseman who's strong side, and then they put in Chris for the weak side platoon. Uh, not quite sure how they're going to handle that situation. Um, really promising returns. I mean, like this is also a guy who, even though he is a little bit of a, a defensive liability, he's got speed. He, he, he really does have speed. He was the 78th percentile in sprint speed last year. Um, is he going to be a 300 hitter? Probably not, but he can be really, really productive uh, with that bat. So uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm like, I'm ready to buy some more, you know, some more young guys jerseys. And I think Ryan Mountcastle might be the next one. Yeah, just going to be fun watching him on a daily level this year, right? You're, you're just trying to watch guys who have a chance to be part of your future core. And obviously uh, he represents that. So it, that'll be fun to watch as, as fans. So Last few questions, we'll get you out of here. Who man shortstop for the Orioles in 21? Not the biggest concern when you're still really not trying to win games, but who would you like to see? Uh, Galvis has been the subject of a, a lot of conjecture of Oriole fans. Uh, we saw uh, VR. There's rumors of possible reunion there. Uh, either one of them, if you want the veteran, would you rather them just go with a Richie Martin uh, type? What, what are your thoughts there? I mean, considering the way that the free agent market is unfolding, I think that we can get Freddie Galvis at a very reasonable 
price, and he's the guy that I would kind of like to see them go after. I mean, he's a little bit older, right? He, I mean, in baseball terms, I don't want to say a little bit older. He's younger than me. Uh, he's <laughs> probably going to be 31 or he's 30, 31 now, going to be 32 this year, I believe. Um, yeah, I don't think he's already had his birthday. Yeah, that would be pretty close to impossible. Um, he's very good defensively, and though he's getting older and those defensive numbers usually decline with age, this is a guy who is a above average bat. I mean, this is a guy who's got 20 home runs in his bat. He did it when he was in Cincinnati uh, in 2019, or it was a split squad that year. But in Camden Yards, that bat is going to play. So if I can get a guy who's not an offensive liability the way that we maybe Richie Martin might be, if he can give 20 home runs and maybe hit 240 and be an above average shortstop, uh, I think that's good. I personally think, and this is just conjecture, that the Orioles are going to prioritize defense at that position, right? A lot of young pitchers. Get a guy who's going to gobble up these ground balls. And keep in mind, remember, we talked about the uh, the Orioles' bullpen being ground ball heavy. You're going to need a really good shortstop for that. So I would expect them to prioritize defense, which probably takes Jonathan VR out of the mix in my mind. Uh, there's consensus. The floor for Rutschman is high. It's, uh, for me, it's hard not to think about Weeders. Weeders is a four-time, uh, all-star two-time gold glove catcher, but the expectations were, you know, insanely high. And it feels like due to that, maybe he underachieved, even though the reality is he had a very good career and just didn't match that quite hype. Uh, Rutschman, is he going to be more weeders or is he going to be more Buster Posey? You don't have to put too much pressure on the young man. <laughs> I, I was on my honeymoon the day we drafted him and I ordered an, a jersey that day. I was so excited. <laughs> and then I quickly remembered, you know, uh, Mara with power, which is what we were calling weeders for so long. How quickly we forgot the hype around Chance Cisco and how excited we were to have Chance Cisco. Do I think Red, uh, Adley Rushman is going to be a good Major League Baseball player? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's tough not to be considering the hype. I am going to, I'm an Orioles fan, so I'm cautiously, cautiously, cautiously optimistic. Uh, those are lofty expectations to live up to. And um, I, I'm ha I'll say this. I don't necessarily think they need to focus defensively on him. I imagine robo-umps could be something that we see in our future, which takes pitch framing and it takes it out of the equation, right? And I think that's a really important thing for people to focus on when it comes to catchers because the name of the game right now is stealing those strikes, right? You want to be able to pitch frame your wazoo off, right? Uh, and once that goes away, you know, maybe it just focuses on offense. And I hope so. I'm leaning more weeders than I am posing. Well, I'm all about Robo Umps, and uh, I've talked of Harry Pavlis a few times uh, with BP and uh, uh, pitch framing and, and the like, and there's uh, certainly something to be said there. But, yeah, all about the Robo Umps. We can get into that in the, uh, another time. And for Rutschman, uh, you know, certainly excited to see him. We recently spoke to Jim Callis with uh, MLB Pipeline, and he suggested he believes uh, Rutschman could uh, uh, send to the majors as early as this year. Uh, um, and, you know, Excited to see that that tenure begin uh, is a lot of pressure on him. And Waiters, maybe it was a little bit unfair when he was first drafted. The comparison was Veritech. And then after he do dominated uh, uh, you know, the lower minors where he was in a level where he didn't belong, then it became Mauer with power. But, yeah, uh, certainly, again, a good career. I always feel bad for Waiters that he gets kind of <laughs> crushed with that. But looking forward to seeing Rutschman. Last question for you. Uh, the minor league talent's increasing. The international window opened today. The Orioles gave out their first two seven-figure contracts. They signed 17 internationals. They're finally doing something on, on the international stage. 
operations growing in that capacity. They've been in, in uh, making the internal investment in analytics. The major league roster has limited payroll obligations going forward. What, what are your general thoughts on what is being built and, and uh, where's your excitement for the organization at this time? Oh, I'm ready to flip a table. I don't know if it's coffee I'm drinking at five o'clock, but I mean, this is, I don't even care if these guys don't pan out. This is a, this is the turning of a page for this organization, right? I mean, this is something that the fan base has wanted for a really, really long time to be involved in this market. Uh, I believe Mike Elias said it today. Uh, you, you can't be competitive unless you're competitive in this market. You just have to be involved in this market. And how quickly we've come from the organization that is banned in South Korea uh, to an organization that is now making these kinds of moves. So, I mean, I know that the, the, the shortstop that they gave that deal to Michael Hernandez, I believe it was 1.3 million. I know that, you know, the comparisons are crazy. We heard A-Rod, we heard Manny, we heard Carlos Correa. Sure, that would be great. But at the end of the day, I'm just happy that this organization starts to trend in the way of modern baseball organizations. And we should be fortunate because there are still organizations out there not doing that. So I'm a grateful Orioles fan today for sure. Yeah, th those uh, two moves in particular, that's ex as excited as I've been for exactly the point that you made, less for any projection of them as individuals and more so just the Orioles not operating with their hands tied behind their back. But, you know, you know. So uh, very exciting there. Alex, really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for the insight and thoughts. And again, people can find you on Twitter where? Yeah, at AlexFast8. And, and thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir.